Hello, John Elder here, science editor with The New Daily. Welcome to the COVID conversation. My guest today is Mr. Stephen Curry, actor and family man. 23 years ago, Stephen played an engaging, trusting innocent in the form of young Dale Kerrigan, the teen narrator of The Castle, that much-loved movie in which a family of Aussie battlers go to comically poignant lengths to save their dream home from annihilation. Good morning, Stephen. Good morning, John. How are you? I'm all right. I'm all right. Thanks for having me. I'm sorry I was late. The traffic was a nightmare. Um, yeah. One of the enduring lines from the castle was, how's the serenity? What did that mean to you at the time when you were 20 years old? Oh, God. Yeah, it was interesting. You know, reading that script was a revelation because up until that point, I'd sort of been doing bit parts and things and then all of a sudden found myself with what I thought was the best script I'd ever read, um, funniest script I'd ever read, and with basically just like parts in there which are just my father, hilariously so. But, yeah, just ident- identified with it instantly and I think that's part of, you know, what appealed to such a large proportion of Australians is, is that familiarity. But we've got that question of serenity and was that even a concept that buzzing around uh, in a 20-year-old head? Uh, yeah, it was. I've, uh, I've never been a big thinker. So I've kind of I've, – I've always been blessed with, uh, you know, not having to, not having to overthink things. Um, but, yeah, the serenity thing's interesting because, you know, as a young actor you kind of – spend your entire school days. I knew when I was nine that I wanted to be an actor. And from that point on, pretty much every teacher kind of very kindly and gently said, scratch that itch, but it's not going to really work out. Um, so that was that was the only point that my lack of serenity kicked in was kind of that fear of proving teachers right. Well... <laughs> It's a, it's a lifelong, that's a lifelong job. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They might still be waiting in the in the shadows to, sure. to tell me they, they were right. But. Look, I have I have something to confess here, and this mm. is going to blow the traffic excuse. Stephen lives across the street from yes, me. Yes, yes. He has a wife who seems very fond of him, two young boys aged seven and five and apparently lacking complication. But like all of us, they've been more or less locked away for a couple of months while the world has blown a gasket. Mm. So how's the serenity now for you and your family in this age of COVID, revolutionary fervour and chaos? Can I be honest, the day that we dropped them off at school on their first day back, it was a sunny day, just like this one outside, um, and the sun seemed just that little bit sparklier. I'll be honest, it was a beautiful day. And not because we had a terrible time, we actually had an incredibly um, satisfying and loving time, to be honest, um, but it was still pretty joyous. And you can tell yourself it's all about their socialisation and, you know, the importance of them being able to, um, you know, work work their way through societal issues at school. <laughs> but also we got to watch Netflix that day. Right. Yeah. So there's all, you know, there's swings and roundabouts. But how was the, lock, the lockdown, though? And, it was, and- look, honestly, I, 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 you know, this is just between you and me, right? This isn't going any further than this conversation. <laughs> I don't like to say this to too many people, but we had a really, really good time um, because we sort of learnt, I think we learnt a lot about parenting through it, oddly enough. Um, and Bo, our five-year-old, you know, he started reading in lockdown. So there were these little moments where you kind of realise that that is not usually part of your job description 
as a parent. Is this because you were doing the at-home schooling? Yeah, at, uh, at-home schooling. And, you know, of course, we read with them every night. And with Arlo, Arlo's quite a good reader for a seven-year-old. And, we've, uh, you know, I've read to them every night since they were born. Um, but to actually be at the coalface of watching your little boy put letters together and put words together and I even worked out what CVCs are. You know what CVCs are? Uh, no, it sounds like a Con- medical exam. Consonant, vowel, consonant oh, words, like no. pop or cat or dog. <laughs> I didn't even know that and I've learned that. But it's just why really, honestly, I think we're kind of well built for lockdown. And as you said, the lack of complication with my boys, and everyone's got their complication, but on the whole, they're pretty uncomplicated and they're actually pretty good company. So that was what, pretty- what about friends? What kind of <clears throat> feedback were you, were you, what were you hearing from friends about their experience? A pretty broad range, I'll be honest. Um, most of our friends, fortunately enough, sort of didn't end up, uh, if they did lose their jobs, they had other things to be able to supplement themselves. So that was kind of a big part of the, the stress. But I, I reckon one of the biggest things about it as a parent of young kids is if this disease went for young kids, it would have been a completely different ball game. Because we could teach our kids from the start, because they were saying, what is this all about? And they were all obsessed with the coronavirus. And we said, this is what this is, is we have to go into lockdown to protect your grandparents and your friend's grandparents. And that's the way we kind of allowed them to kind of process that. So it wasn't like them saying- So that's what you told them? Yeah. This thing's not coming to get you, but we're doing our bit to stop it. Uh, you know, affecting other people. And, and how did they respond to that? I think they responded really positively message. to it because I think if, you know, and it would have been, again, if it was, if this thing attacked kids, it would have been way different for us because we would have been losing our minds and then we would have had to be really, you know, pretty pretty upfront with them about the importance to their own safety and all that sort of stuff. And we didn't have to say any of that sort of stuff. This was about, this was about paying it forward rather than self-preservation. So you didn't really pick up um, much anxiety from them about this whole thing? No. I mean, there were moments where you could cabin fever is going to set up, set in. Let's be frank, and yeah. you know, we've got a you know little backyard, and we've got a and we've got a not a massive house, and um, but on the on the whole, I think it was just like, I think <laughs> I like to say this, but I think they enjoyed our company as much as we enjoyed theirs. Just walking around, what's what's your been impression of, of other people in the street? How they, how you know whether they've t- been taking? I mean, I've, I've banged on about this a bit of thinking that people haven't necessarily taken social distancing. Mm. Um, whether it's been seriously enough, or whether it's just people don't know what to do, and so there's yeah. a kind of walking along, and then there's this. Oh, here comes a big fat man walking down the street. How am I going to deal with him? I'm talking about myself, right? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, what do I do? And I feel I'm always the guy stepping off the footpath onto the road and going, yeah, hey, yeah, yeah. No, look, I think, again, there's a gamut, isn't there? And I think most people that we came across certainly kind of understood it. The odd person seems to have no understanding of it whatsoever. And I think it even might even come back to that thing about not quite getting the point of what this lockdown was about, you know, that I'm, I'm not, I haven't got it. Uh, I'm not going to get affected by it. You look pretty young. I can walk. In, you know that that sort of mindset of, you know, ignoring all these things that we've learned. The curve, you know, the yeah. flattening the curve, all that sort of stuff. Which I think, I don't know. I, it, it's weird because if you go into go into Coles, I haven't gone into any of the big big shopping centres. I've heard that's a nightmare. But even in the supermarket, you just see people who who clearly don't quite get it. 
Yeah, yeah. I, I, I actually wrote a piece about taking a feather duster to their knees, which is probably nuts. <laughs> I didn't see anyone punching on over bog roll, which is positive. <laughs> I don't want to see that. Yeah, I, I do like the fact that at the moment you've got people out there who probably got a whole room full of oh, well, it. <laughs> but you can never have enough. Please, can I, can I get a <laughs> Can I get a refund? Yeah, yeah. Like, now, look, you, right. as you say, your boys have just gone back to school. Yes, they have. Are they saying it's weird? I mean, because it's actually news that they've gone back. So what's... Yeah, um, I asked both of them on the first day. And I said, what's different? And they said, nothing's really different. We're just not allowed to give our teacher a hug because they, they both love their teachers. All oh, right. So we're not allowed to give our so teacher a hug. So can you still hug teachers these days? Oh, you know, if they're yeah, the you know. right teacher, I guess. That's nice. <laughs> I don't know. But no, at, at, at their primary school, it's, you know, we're very lucky to have some really great human beings that the oh, boys are in love with, I think. But yeah, they said, you know, your seats are a little bit further apart, but apart from that, everything's kind of as is, as was. Look, last week I was talking to a sociologist, Dan Woodman, about the idea of Generation COVID. It's, mm. it's being bandied about with no set meaning as yet. Mm. But one idea is that it could apply to the young children who are now forming the memories that they'll hang on to throughout their life course. And that's kind of the position your sons are in. Yep. Well, I guess the question is, how much do you think they've taken in? The last week especially has run, you know, horrendously hot. COVID might still be the biggest story in town with its attendant mm. uh, economic calamity. Yep. Uh, making more noise have uh, been the worldwide mass protests against police brutality, systematic mm. racial inequality. And for a number of days or so, the United States really seemed on the brink of going up in flames. None of this helped by their Theresa May golden sunset rinsed president keen to <laughs> set the military upon his own citizens. Ah, is that an actual colour? Because, you know, people would often, ladies would often go in and ask for the Jackie O haircut. Do you reckon anyone goes in and asks for the golden sunset? Well, I've actually been re-watching re Seinfeld and oh, yeah. George's parents... Yeah, they mm. seem to be having the same medicine cabinet as Yeah, you think the Donald, Donald might have taken some inspiration from well. George and Estelle, from Estelle and Frank. Um, no, look, you know, interesting what you said about the Generation COVID. I, I hope, and I, I'm a bit of a romantic at times, John, but my mum made a really sage comment and she said, she was talking, I said, how are you feeling, you know, what, how's, how's your brain? And she said, I've been thinking a lot about it and we used to always, our parents and a lot of their generation were always pretty austere, were always pretty careful with their money. You know, my mum was a midwife, my dad was a public servant. We ne were never rich, but we were never wanting, right? But a big part of that was because we didn't, nothing was lavish. We were at Rye rather than Surfer's Paradise, which I still hold on to. But you know what mum said is the reason that her generation and so many people like them were so careful with their money was because their parents lived through the Depression, and I reckon it's a really interesting point that a quandary for this generation, whether they take the lessons from this in a similar way, and we might be on our way to depression. We don't know. No one knows, right? But I wonder if this kind of, that mindset might actually change things because there's a, the, the, the devil may care attitude towards debt, towards, you know, credit and the ensuing debt or towards, as I think I've said to you before, you know, living beyond your means. My dad always drummed it hard, an accountant, right? Always drummed it hard into our heads about living within your means. And 
I, I just wonder out, you know, who's out there right now who's instantly start, starting to instantly realizing the folly of that easy attitude to spending. So you, 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 I mean, she was basically saying, as, as I understand it, that we may pivot toward the kind of austerity that shaped the Depression generation, and or at least your yeah. sons might. I hope or, so. Well, they might have to. You hope so. I hope they do. And I, I you know, I think, I think that 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 ridiculous notion of kind of you know, in order to be successful, one must project an image of success at all times is going to cause some serious societal problems from here on in. So you see austerity as a, a little bit of, a, of an attractive thing? I think it is in terms of our preservation and our kind of ongoing ability to provide or to, to survive um, in many ways. Because I think I do think, that, you know, the, the, the number of people in, in shiny cars they can't afford or in beautiful houses they can't afford or in all this sort of stuff, and don't get me wrong, you know, we've got a mortgage, you've got a mortgage. It's not like it's not like we're saying, oh, we can't go into any debt. We all go into debt. But it's for me, it's more about I hope my boys and that and and their generation, a lot of their generation, start to kind of realise this concept of yeah, preservation, of not of not you know, it's great, live for now is a great thing to have on a t shirt or a bumper sticker, right? But I think you also gotta live for Another time. Stephen, you're, you're predicting the death of cafe society. No, I know. You don't oh, see your boys going. avocados, mate. <laughs> they're going to, I don't know, avocados might still exist, but the smashing process might become a, a part, thing of the past if people want to get mortgages. Even if kids can be sheltered from the news, there is still a parental vibe they pick up on. And look, yep. maybe in your house, you've just, you've kept it very cool. And, and I think a lot of people have tried to do that. But of course, now at school, I guess you're going to be having to keep an eye on what they will be picking up on there. And I guess, how, how do you think they'll remember this time? Honestly, I, th- I hope and I, I believe they'll, they'll think back on it quite fondly. I mean, again, five at five, do you remember anything from when you were five? I do. Oh, you do? Okay, right. Yeah. Were they good memories? Like odd, but you might remember the super funniest thing that ever happened when you were five, you know, like. You know, I remember my grandpa coming. They used to live in our backyard in a caravan. We were playing cricket. My grandpa was the funniest guy I ever met. And he and the ball, he was obviously watching from inside the caravan. And I've hit the ball into the incinerator. Maybe you should be able to just have an incinerator. Your dad could just burn a few tyres every now and then. Yeah. Anyway, I went to the incinerator. Grandpa runs out of the caravan, picks the ball out of the thing and says, now nah, you're really playing for the ashes. <laughs> Which as a five-year-old, I thought was the single funniest thing I've ever heard. And still to this day is one of the best ones. But those little memories, I, I, I hope that Bo, as our five-year-old, does actually kind of, you know, have these certain memories of this. But I think because it, we kind of normalised it as much as possible and it wasn't, it wasn't to him, it wasn't anything. It wasn't the end different. of the world. He just wasn't at school and he wasn't seeing his friends as much and he didn't get to see his cousins. You know, that's kind of, and he didn't get to hug his, his grandma and his grandpa. But, you know, I think, I don't know, I hope, certainly Arlo will be, will, will remember it. As, as a seven-year-old, I think that's that's kind of. Um, but yeah, again, I, I think I think we'll remember it. We'll remember it fondly. It's interesting about memories because you know, as a you sort of as a five-year-old, it almost seems fitting you would remember what is ultimately a punchline. Oh yeah, oh he was the pun king. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's exactly what it is, isn't it? <laughs> is that right? Is that did that did that pave the way? Did that is that is that really? Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, you got to you got to wonder. Another piece of the puzzle falls into place. There you go. Um, yeah. Cheap psychology. Look, you actually got tested for the virus. I did. You weren't yes. symptomatic. No. Um, it was because you wanted to visit your father. Yeah. But things went a little askew. I think they went askew for everybody, didn't they? Who got that test? I, I wasn't really given the full instruction on what it was going to be like. You were in your car. I was in my car down at, down at Southland. Um, we were going to go to Bunnings, but we found out that if you do it at Bunnings, they don't give you a sausage and bread. And I thought that was just distasteful. So we went to Southland. Did they give you a sausage and bread at Southland? No, nah, nah. And you didn't even get a little thing trinket from the reject shop or anything. Like right. Stupid. But anyway, yeah, you get in there, you wait in a queue in the second story of the car park at, at Southland. Sitting in your car. Sitting in your car. And you finally get up there and then the dude with the mask comes up and he he checks your name, checks your date of birth, and then he's in there with this, I don't know, I guess it was a, one of those, what do you call them, ear, ear things, you're not, things yeah. that you're not meant to put in your ear. Yeah. Very confusing, that. The cotton bud. Anyway, and he shoves it, like he goes around the mouth, oh, that's all right, and then shoves it right down to the back of your throat to get the gag reflex going. Right. And dry reach. Dry right. reach. Dry reach, isn't it? Not dry reach. So you're dry retching and then he kind of pulls it out and then he shoves it. The same thing. Was it? Not, not a clean one? No. It was the same thing up your snout, but right at the back, like it feels like he's checking out your brain. Right. There's some little hole out the back there. Yeah. I'm no, now, now I'm no biologist, but there's some little hole that you know he's gone through that hole and it's one of the most uncomfortable it's not, see the thing, it's not like painful, it's just excruciatingly uncomfortable. And you kind of go, well, Dad, you'd better appreciate this. So when it, got, when it came all clear, I went and gave with Dad a big hug. Okay, well, we must make a community announcement. Get tested anyway. Get tested anyway. Stephen Curry's just a wuss. I am a bit of a wuss. Forget it, what he's saying here. No, I haven't been through childbirth or gallstones, so I guess, you know, most, most excruciatingly uncomfortable thing I've experienced. All right. Tell us about your father. Uh, well, actually, no. Tell us about the visit. Wasn't it a bit of a debacle because of the kids? Or uh, oh yeah, yeah. So we finally got there. And, and, where, and where is he? They're in queue in a, in a sort of a gated community in queue. Mum and dad, and um, dad's eighty five, and he's you know he's 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 getting on physically as well. Um, and so they're very particular about who's getting in and who's not at the moment. And I didn't get the memo that. Anyone under 16 can't. So this it. wasn't like an aged care facility, this was just a... No, 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 it's just the, oh, what do you call it, I guess it's... Like it's, a retirement? Yeah, assisted, li uh, assisted living, I guess. You know, they're in their own apartment, they yeah. cook and they clean and they do all their, them, everything themselves, but they've got a button just in case things go pear-shaped. Right, but they had someone who's actually screening who's coming in. Yep, yep, so and which whom, uh, with whom my father flirts on a daily basis. He, oh. bring, he brings her chocolate every day and tells, right. her, tells her a new joke every day. So Neville Curry's jokes are pretty good. He said yesterday, did you hear that bears have started to get the virus and now it's really a pandemic? But are you glad you didn't get my dad on this podcast? Well, I'm... I'm Pandas? Gee, John. I know. Hey, you know, I'm, I'm thinking philosophical thoughts <laughs> here. Yeah. Sorry, I've taken this off the philosophical... Um, yeah. Yeah, but look, thanks, look yeah. tell, us about, tell us about your uh, hilarious father. As a committed Catholic. Yep, very. Uh, but also about your Catholic education. Yep. I mean, you've talked about uh, the guilt yep. that is parceled out yep. and hard to shrug off. It is hard to shrug off. 
But you've also said that in the main, you had a you had a very good experience with very good people. Incredibly good experience. We were very very active in our parish over at uh, Our Lady of Good Counsel in Deep Dean. So and you got good counsel from them. Good counsel, very good counsel. OLGC, which at the state school kids called Old Ladies Gambling Casino, which we <laughs> we quite liked. Apparently, it was blasphemous. I don't know, but I, I remember finding out once that the kids at at, pri- at that primary school, my friend Lizzie came in and said, oh, my God, you're never going to believe this. The kids at Deep Dean State don't have a God. And I went, what? What does that look like? How old were you? Oh, six, probably, seven. So it was a shock. That shock, because our thing was church, you know. We went to church every week. We were in the choir. We, were, we had a, the Curry Kids Band oh that would do the, the reggae version of Mary's Boy Child at the Christmas Mass. Oh we were in Antioch. We were in, you know, we were very active in the church. And it, that, that's what I meant about the, the Catholic Guild. The Catholic, Catholic Guild is a very strong and pervasive thing. But was that just Catholic Guild? Got, you know, did no, you, no, no, you, no. It was just our parents. It. We just had no say. All oh, right. So we just had to do it until we were 17, oh, until we left school, and then we were able to make our own choice, and every single one of us, I don't think we've been into a church since, for, unless it's a wedding or a funeral. Um, but the Catholic guilt, well, just that, just that concept of kind of the things that you feel are being watched and being judged by a higher power, even though I'm not, a, I'm not an atheist, but I'm not a, I'm not, I don't believe God is watching me. Um, did, did you used to go to confession? Oh, yeah. Did you make things up? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't think I ever told the truth in confession. I did some really rank things as a kid, really naughty stuff. Right. But um, – So did you confess to robbing a bank or something? Didn't confess to it. Uh, but um, – thank you. That was before pop-up technology. It was way easier back then. No, look, I, yeah, you always lied, always lied. And it was a competition with your, with your siblings who could get away with the biggest lie. You know, so as, that as was a, yeah, and that was a good sign to realise that whilst we had the Catholic guilt, we we weren't suffering from the fire and brimstone stuff that my father was raised with. You know, he was raised; it was crazy. the 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 rules and the regulations on how to get into heaven are something that you know. I say that Catholic guilt permeated my mind. My father, you know, was was it was drummed into his head, and as a result, he knows he's going to heaven. We've talked about this, and I'd, I'd asked you, or I'd said to you, well, the great thing about Christian and, and, and certainly uh, Catholic faith is that if you do muck up, if you do sin, mm. as long as you get the word in, say, look, I'm, I repent. I'm, 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 I'm very sorry about this. You're good to go. Please forgive me. Yeah. But for your father, sinning, it was better just not to even go there. Didn't go there because, you know, I think, I think there are, yeah, there are two different ways to look at it. You could, you could, you could think about these people who do these, these heinous crimes, you know, within the church, for instance, and they just need to repent and they reckon they're still going to heaven. Whereas my father, oddly, I guess, was kind of, he could have gotten away with whatever he wanted, I guess, morally, because you can just go and apologise to the big guy, but a very upstanding good man who would rather not not sin um, than be forced to repent so I think that I mean that speaks a lot to the to the you know the qualities in my father I suppose but he always talked about this thing about having a Christian attitude and it was always kind of confusing for us because the Christian attitude of my oldest brother Peter who's a very intellectual man 
and was at 12, was winning arguments at the dinner table about the, you know, the, the great hypocrisy of the Bible. But he would talk about, you know, Christian attitude and then he would bring up the figures of how many the people the Christians have killed over the years and all that sort of stuff. He sounds like a Chinese guy. <laughs> oh, my God. With so many dinners... It's like once the chocolate Bavarian was over, we were out of there. It was so boring. Well, I mean, part of the question I'm asking you, though, is that because you do seem a fairly calm person. I think I am, yeah. I go over to your driveway. I listen in the door. I never see hear plates breaking. <laughs> I'm thinking, what's wrong with these people? But I, I guess that what I'm really wondering about is because of the this has been a high-pressure time, you can't look at the news and not think, holy God, you know, and, and feel like there's some... Some visceral stuff going on. There is, there is. So I'm sort of wondering about the stoicism, the lessons that were useful for you as a from from Catholicism, and I guess especially for these exhausting times. Do you feel that that background, that that grounding, you know, has has played a part? Yeah, that's a really interesting question, actually, John. You know what? Honestly, I was we were raised, all my siblings were raised with probably unnecessary amounts of optimism. Unnecessary amounts. Yeah. My parents, I sort of argue occasionally, but never more than that. That it was not a, it was basically always raised with this thing about whatever the problem is, it can be taken care of, it can be sorted, it can be, it can be dealt with and it can be, you know, they raised five kids and I suppose they had the wooden spoon, so that was probably an advantage, but, but like there was never a problem that was too much. And so I think this, you know, my industry, your industry, we might be in for a really, really terrible time work-wise. In the well, next I haven't time. asked you about that. That's well, fine. yeah, okay. Well, I, I think, I think. sorry, just further to your question, I think it was yeah, just, which is just that. I, I think that we were raised with resilience, I suppose, and that's kind of one of those things where I, Nadine, my wife, occasionally gets frustrated with me because I'm a bit too optimistic and if you look at the reality of what's going to happen probably in our industry, then it's kind of like, okay, so we're probably in for some lean years, but I don't know, sun shining, my boys are healthy and happy and they like me, they like us. <laughs> they barrack for Collingwood. Oh, for God's They sake. like fishing. I've been to- I was told also, this is off the topic as usual, but um, with kids you don't let them indoctrinate you into their habits you just indoctrinate them into the stuff that you like doing. Magpies, fishing, camping, they love all three. So it's all good. <laughs> well, but yeah. so, well, unnecessary optimism. I mean, look, I'm, I'm a bit like you. I sort of do believe in, in trying to kind of maintain that position as best you can. Yeah. Um, even though it can become under uh, a great deal of trial. You know, there's that thing about the secret. Have we ever talked about the secret? What, the... Um, $100 million yeah. fraud. I hate it so much. Yeah. <laughs> but, like, it's so disgusting because it's actually about money. It's actually about money. It's about the law of attractions and it's about how to get rich out of that. Yeah. Which is, it, it's awful. But the one thing I took out of that was the was this sentence in it, which is like... You, did you read it? Not all of it. Oh, my I was Lord. so sickened. I even read a little bit of Fifty Shades of Grey. <laughs> I got to like 30 pages into that. So, you know, don't, you should see my library out there. It's ridiculous. But, but. I'm, I'm a bit older from you. I went, I went through a series of 
ladies' bedrooms, and I'd always find men are from Mars, women are from Venus. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? My mum and as they, as they the grew more en- enchanted and were looking out for hope, it became eat, pray, love. And <laughs> it was <laughs> another book I hated. I got to 20 pages into that one because Nadzi was reading that one. My mum loaned me Fifty Shades of Grey. Anyway, whatever. Your mum did? Yeah. Yeah. Um, thank was God it, we're just having this conversation. It's not going any further than this. Was her voice a lot deeper after she'd read it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Hello, yeah apparently Dad only read pages 57 through 60 because they are doozies. But, but, so the thing about Secret, there was this great line in there, which I really liked, and it was very early on. It might even be in there. Oh, anyway, it's in the first few pages. And it's like, you could get out of bed and stub your toe and you could say, well, that's my day stuffed. Or you could say, that was dumb, and move on. And I know it's really simple. I know it's not – I know you studied philosophy, so I can't come in here and say that as if it's some deep thing. But it resonated with me because it's like that's kind of – that's what that's the way I was raised. That's exactly the way I was raised. Well, that's why you take up on it. Yeah, and you take the, all the money rubbish out of that thing and all the greed out of that story about what that became. And you kind of go, well, that's to me kind of – I don't know. That that speaks volumes to me, and that's I can explain that to my seven and five year old, and they get it. It's like, yeah, stub your toe. That's Something silly. happened. Yeah, big deal. Yeah, get over it. Get on with it. Let's go. You got nine other toes. Look, you've done a lot across an impressive range. You talked about the the the, the, the shadow of the castle, so to speak, has mm. sort of hung over you a bit because it's such. Oh a- yeah, and it's champagne problems because you you know once you do a film like the castle and everyone sees it, well, everyone in this country then everyone wants you to play a, a variation of that character. And so for 10 years I was working. I didn't have to have a real job. But then sitting there going, oh, I'd love to play a bad guy or whatever. You know, <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, you know, I mean, look, you, you work with some true legends, Bill Hunter. Oh, yeah. The, the, was, he, was he a grump? Yes. Yes. I yeah, he was a curmudgeon. I would say he was a curmudgeon. My dad met him. He was an, my dad was an extra in the cup yep. on which I worked with uh, Bill Hunter. And um, Bill Hunter was wearing a rabbi's beard as a toupee <laughs> to play Bart Cummings, by the way, just so you know. And my father went, walked up and said, ah, ah, Bill Heslop, what a coincidence. Which is his li- yeah, one of the lines from Muriel's Wedding. Right. Expecting him to say, oh, Muriel Chambers, or whatever, whatever and that was her name, Deirdre Chambers. Uh-huh. And he just looked at my dad and went, Ugh, and walked <laughs> But look, you've, you've actually played a few legends, Graham Kennedy, yep. Damien Oliver, mm-hmm. and your outing as the terrorising creep in Hounds of Love, I have to say, was a revelation. But what's something you'd love to do, and what's something you're doing? Do you know what, honestly, and this might sound a bit crap, but I, I, what I want to do is just keep being able to go from comedy to drama and get away with it. So a lot of people, not many people are allowed to. Yeah. And this last 10 years has been really good because, because I've sort of I've been able to straddle both sides without either side going, you're an imposter. Well, not to my face. Yeah. And so that to me is great because then it feels like you've got, I don't know, another string to the bow or, or another avenue to keep your, your brain in the game or to keep kind of feeling um, intrigued. By characters. I remember Robin Williams did a, a couple of things that were just very straight and rather terrifying. I think he played some... One-minute photo. One-hour yeah. one photo. Yeah. Yeah, he was great in that. Well, it's great. And it, Goodwill Hunting. Yeah. He was amazing. He was amazing. And I don't know, then probably having to do... The idea of doing Mrs. Doubtfire again is probably what partly 
<laughs> I mean, poor fellow. Really. I've only been in your place 50 minutes and I'm already getting hot flashes. All right. Mm. Oh, well, look, I was going to ask about the castle again, but bugger that. Uh, look, it's been great talking to you today. I know you've got to go off and record some music. I do indeed. You're recording a children's album. Mm. I thought you might be able to get away with more doing a children's album, but man, they are they're tough critics. I've got two of the toughest critics in the world over over the road. What colour what colour t shirt are you gonna wear? Well, skinny. Are you this, gonna have a skinny? What do you call this? Is this Mangenta or something? I, I don't know. It's okay. sort of a pinky salmony I think I'll go with this. Not sure it's your colour, mate. Not on the cover. I won't wear this on the cover of the album. I'll be wearing something really cool. I got like a Fonzie kind of leather jacket or something. <laughs> yeah, his coolness has, held, has sort of held up, hasn't it? <laughs> yeah, even through jumping the shark and everything. Um, we didn't jump the shark on this conversation, did we? Yeah, I think oh, we probably we? did. It's hard to know, isn't it, when you're in it? It has been great talking to you today. You too, Mr. Elder. Uh, try and keep the noise down with you in the mornings. I will. Sorry, if you don't mind, I'm, I'm a delicate artist over here. Did you do. like my joke about the traffic on the way over here? Yeah. It would have been pretty obscure to people who hadn't um, yeah. been told that I live over the road from here. That's why I explained it. It's really good. Look forward to catching up soon. You too, mate. Thank you very much. Next week, I'm talking with sociologist Nick Hookway about kindness, loneliness and do-it-yourself morality. In the meantime, light a candle, hold your breath, try not to eat all the biscuits in the cupboard, and all being well enough, I'll talk to you next week. Tenere bene. Bye.